Hey y'all, welcome to Cross Politics. It's good to be with you this evening. Pastor Toby Chuck Knox, I'm, I'm the water boy. Uh, why is conservatism going gay? We're going to find out. And if there's something you wanted to say to a woman, what would it be? I don't know, but I think there's a book that's written about it. <laughs> I say it to my woman every night. <laughs> oh. I love what's, you, girl. What's up now? What's up now? the best thing since sliced bread, girl. <laughs> Do your thing, girl. Yeah, I say it every night. Here we go. All right, first, we need to stop. We need to stop that. Stop. <laughs> Sharon, come get your man. <laughs> Let's stop and take a moment to talk about the Fight, Laugh, Feast Club membership by joining the Fight, Laugh, Feast Army. Not only will you be aiding in our fight to take down secular and legacy media, but you'll also get access to the content placed in our club portal, such as past shows, all our conference talks, and exclusive content for club members that you won't be able to find anywhere else. Nope. Lastly, you also get discounts at all our conferences, $100 off, in fact. So, you got a few extra bun- bucks, bunts, mm, lying two. around. <laughs> it's baseball season. Kick them over our way. Sign up at flfnetwork.com. <laughs> All right. I'm so excited. Are you for ready? This. I am so Are you excited. ready? Yeah, yeah. Hey, we're really grateful to have with us Ms. Denise McAllister. Denise is a journalist and cultural commentator who has written for several publications, including The Federalist and PJ Media, and is co author of the New York Times bestseller, Spygate The Attempted Sabotage of Donald J. Trump. I read this just a minute ago to, oh. to, to Gabe, and then a minute later, he was like, hey, guys. Did you know that she wrote Spygate? Yeah. The attempted sabotage yeah. of Donald J. Trump? <laughs> see, see, the thing is, Toby was talking to my deaf ear. I'm glad we had this pre-show so meeting. <laughs> Denise yeah. has also appeared as a commentator on Fox News, BBC, NPR, and CrossPolitik. Hey! Uh, yeah. That actually says the Sean Hannity radio show. And numerous other radio programs across the United States. She is also a Christian apologist who studied systematic theology, apologetics, philosophy, and Christian history at Reformed Theological Seminary. RTS. So you guys better watch out. You guys mm. better watch out. Um, Denise, thanks for coming on Cross Politics. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's a delight to be here. So, Denise, how did conservatism get to the point where Dave Rubin is now the face of the movement? Well, because our culture has uh, redefined love. I really think it's as simple as that. Uh, when you redefine love and people, what do you want to be, you know, in society? Do you want to be seen as the person who's hateful, who's mean, who's nasty, who doesn't love anyone? Uh, that That is the essence of identity politics and white guilt, straight guilt, man guilt, whatever mm. kind of guilt you want to lay on people. It's all rooted in you're not a loving, nice, kind, just human being. Mm. And so you're silenced and you're shut down, you're delegitimized, you're canceled, you're uh, fired, whatever it is, uh, because you're not seen as the good person along the lines of whatever society has deemed to be good. And with the gay agenda, it's all about redefining what love is. And so we as conservatives, we're like, well, our definition of love comes from the created order designed by God, you know, God is love. God defines love. He mm. reveals what love is in his son, um, in his word. And when our culture says, no, 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 uh, it's not God who defines love. It's we, you know, whatever I feel, whatever the individual is, mm-hmm. you know, love is love. That's the message we hear all the time. And so I think conservatives, because they're terrified of being silenced and canceled and seen as the mean, bad, unloving, hateful guy, They've like, oh, oh, no, we really, we're on board. 
we're on board with the the LGBT plus 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 train uh, because we're really good people. Mm-hmm. You know, don't you know we're really good people? <laughs> so that's it's straight guilt. I really think is straight is guilt, <laughs> but, Denise. But help me. I mean, again, I like I bring up Dave Rubin because Jordan Peterson just interviewed him on the Daily Wire. Gay parenting, and I'm and I'm I'm thinking, but I mean. I thought the Daily Wire would be, of all places, would be, you know, I've seen so many videos where, you know, Ben Shapiro owns the libs, you know, where, right. whatever, like, whatever, like, they, they're they standing up and they say, you know, you call me hateful, you call me a bigot, whatever, but I'm not really, I'm, I'm standing on the truth, I'm standing on natural law, whatever, um, and then they do that, and I'm like, but how did they get there? I understand how... Um, I don't know. I guess I understand how Hannity interviews Bruce Jenner. Kind of and, a soft version and, of conservative. And acts, you know, like Fox is sort of like, I mean, they've always been kind of, yeah, soft and yeah, vague. Yeah. But I, I, don't, I guess I thought Daily Wire had more of a backbone. How, how do we get, how do they get there? Well, I used to write for Daily Wire and I was canceled by Ben Shapiro because I offended a gay man who had attacked my family. Oh, that happened three years ago. Uh-oh. So, uh, no, Daily Wire does not have a backbone when it comes to these issues. Uh, they are more libertarian than they are conservative. Mm. Uh, ben Shapiro definitely opposes same sex marriage. I think if you caught him in a dark room in a back alley and he were forced out of him, he would say, yes, I think. I agree with Leviticus that uh, homosexuality is an abomination and a sin, Uh Uh, but he will not come out strongly against the LGBT agenda that is trying to, uh, well, has succeeded in in establishing homosexuality as an identity, Uh as a human identity. And you got to remember, once you've decided that homosexuality is an identity, rights must go with that. Uh That's why the LGBT agenda is all about identity. It's not about love. It's not about what we do in our bedrooms. It's about it's about identity. Hmm. So Ben has bought into that because a lot of these conservative outlets, a lot of where their money comes from, a lot of what they rely on to protect their brand. And when when Ben Shapiro wrote me and said, you need to disassociate from, from Daily Wire, we're, we're canceling you, basically. You have got to leave because you've offended this gay man um, by calling out his sexuality online. He said, the reason is, and he told me this, is because I have got to protect my brand. Mm. That is exactly what he said. He said it several times. And I was like, Ben, do you know what's going on here? And what, what the fight is. And he's like, it doesn't matter. I've got to protect my brand. Mm. So this is what these conservatives are. You talk about conservative media. They're all about protecting their brand. Politicians are all about protecting their campaign, their their office. Mm. So they're going to cave in areas where money's involved. There's a lot of money in conservative gay world, Uh a lot of money, a lot of investors come from homosexual conservatives or libertarians. Uh Uh, So they don't want to offend these people. And they also just, they can, they can go against the trans, they can go against um, black people and they can go against CRT, you know, critical race theory, because there's not money tied up in that. There's not hanging oh, wow. out with them at, at, the, at the cocktail parties. They're hanging out with the friend homosexuals, but they're not hang, hanging out with the people who embrace critical race theory. Mm. So, you know, these are very the the webs that that are very yeah. <laughs> threads that and webs that tie it all together. And it's a real thing. It's money. It's 
power, it's prestige, it's status, it's who your friends are, and it's wanting to protect your brand. Well, I have so I, you, 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 I've got a, a boatload of like a dump trunk of questions right now. <laughs> Denise, you got to help me understand why a homosexual would want to be connected to the conservative movement when traditionally it has completely rejected uh-oh, she's got the face like, you know, you ain't ready for this trip. <laughs> boy, you don't want you this answer. You ain't, you ain't ready for this trip. Go ahead, Denise. I, I'm just curious. Well, it's interesting. Back in the late 80s, there was a book written called After the Ball. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it was an entire manifesto about how to normalize and streamline yep. and get um, and legitimize homosexuality. The goal there was always to be normalized and again, to be accepted as an identity Mm -hmm. so that they have the rights and everything's tied up and having this is who I am. It's about being, it's about, about identity. So it was not enough. And in that book, it made it clear. It's not enough to simply oppose conservatism or Christianity, Mm. because that's going to be a fight that you're always going to have. And you can't go out like in your pride and strip down and be gross and talk about what you actually do in the bedrooms. The book itself said, you know, normalize, normalize, normalize. You're actually just as normal and vanilla as the straight couple down the street. You're just as good of a parent as the heterosexual couple down the street. You're just as good of a Christian as the Christian sitting in the pew next to you who's who's heterosexual. So, you know, this is the normalization that must happen to be accepted. And, and so you, what's happened is not an opposition to conservatism and Christianity, but a subversion of it. So that's why you see people like Pete Buttigieg, who's like, I'm the Christian. <laughs> I know how to interpret the scriptures. These are bad Christians. Christians who do not embrace homosexuality are bad Christians. We're the good Christians. So they're they're undermining it. They're they're kind of like Satan in the garden with Eve. Satan didn't say, you know, God's the bad guy. He said, did God really say that? Right. Right. You know, you can really choose who you want to be, Eve. You know, God loves you. You know, did God really mean that you die? God doesn't really mean that. So he subverted the religion rather than taking a full on assault because that just didn't work. They tried that in the sixties and seventies. It didn't work. So I, I was, uh, my whole read on the daily wire is that it's an unsustainable worldview because what their, their company worldview is based off secularism. You have, you have the Jewish religion there. You have the a Catholic religion there with Matt Walsh. You have the evangelical religion there with uh, Jeremy Boring. But what it, they all agree to is that there's this neutral operating grounds that they can operate their company off of, and those different uh, theological worldviews don't come into conflict. So uh, that was my view. But it, but it, you're telling me basically that the Daily Wire is going gay over more money than actually even that like that secularistic business worldview. I think the business worldview and the secular worldview that compromises all of those individual views that you you just named of those people is about money. Uh So it is about protecting the brand. You know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to make money. I mean, there's nothing wrong with protecting your brand. We want some. What are you, you know, what is your, what are you doing? What is your brand based on? And Mm -hmm. and what are you sacrificing in the long run in order to protect it? Uh, You know, are you going to stand on principles in the culture war that will silence and cancel you? I mean, see, Ben Shapiro can can speak out against transgenderism because he's really not going to get canceled over that. 
Um, you know, he's not going to get canceled over his uh, offense to black people. They just don't have the power that gay people have this, you know, it's interesting in, in intersectionality, you have these hierarchy of marginalized people, right. uh, you know, who are fighting over who's the most marginalized mm-hmm. and whoever is the most marginalized will have the most power. Well, now today it's not black men. They have no, they're not up there. You're pretty much silenced. It's, it's black women are higher than you, but, um, Gay men, you know, are probably up there with black women, probably a little higher. Maybe gay black women are even higher on the marginalized and have even more power. So all I know is that in the culture today, because of Hollywood, and I, I, I really give a lot of bad credit to our entertainment industry in which Americans are completely googly eyed and they're so brainwashed by watching Netflix and all the rest of it, that they have been nudged and pushed and massaged and soaked in, uh, in this perversion and sexual immorality that they've embraced it. And, and so mm. the marginalized group and the people who have more power are, are the gay, um, uh, the gay people and, and not all these other marginalized groups. What, what, okay. So if this is happening inside of conservatism, which is shocking to, it really is shocking to me. I thought that there was a more virtuous conservatism than there was. I was wrong about that. Um, you're, you're laughing. Um, but also, so I have to think, okay, if this is opening the door, homosexuality is becoming normalized inside of the conservative worldview. Does it mean that the pro-life movement probably is on its way out to what else is coming next after this? Are we going to be a pro-choice option soon here, or is that going to be pushed aside too? Well, I mean, it's all about, it comes in waves and it ebb and flows about where power is and what's, what will get you canceled and silenced and marginalized and who has what's called moral authority within the culture. Mm. Uh, You know, so, you know, in the future, will there be a rise of pro choice that's able to move the culture away from the pro-life that has gained a lot of ground recently back to guilting them. Because remember back in the nineties, conservatives were ashamed to even go to conferences with people who were pro-life. They really distanced Uh themselves from the, the religious right. Remember this is, you know, the Ralph Reed crowd, you know, and the, the real pro-life crowd It's like, Hey, we're all good. As long as we don't talk about abortion Mm -hmm. because abortion makes us look like mean, nasty people. And we want women to come into our party. So let's not talk about abortion so much. Well, over time, because of a lot of different factors and, and good, strong opposition and then pro-life, uh, we overcame that stigma and that and that kind of marginalization against abortion. I mean, against pro-life people um, to gain power within the culture, even though I don't think we have quite the power we think we did. We want a court battle, but that doesn't mean we're going to leave you know, right. won this whole fight against pro-choice. I still think that's the dominant right. worldview now. So, so don't think for a minute that because we won that court battle that uh, <laughs> that we're not having a fight in the states over right. saving babies. Right. Uh, the mindset's still there to be pro-choice. Uh, so it's just about what's having, who has the moral authority, who has the power and culture to direct laws. I mean, look what we have going on in the Congress. We just passed a law to codify same-sex marriage because they don't want it overturned. Yep. And and so uh, that's where the power is. And, and for now, right now, it's it's the homosexual agenda. And there's a, there's a reason for that. You know, it's when you reject God so outright, like our society has, uh, you're only left with this kind of sub- about who we are and who our identity is. And when you, when re- you remove objective reality, all you have left is whatever I define myself to be. Yep. 
And that just leads to chaos and destruction in the long run. Okay, I got a I got a follow up question to that, but first I, I want to talk I, about I, journalism. I, 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 hold on, okay, hold on, okay. just a second. I, I, I'm supposed to read this. Okay. Uh, Boniface Woodworking exists for those who enjoy shopping with integrity, who want to buy handmade wooden furniture gifts and heirloom items that last for generations, from dining tables and church pulpits to cigar Ooh. humidors and everything in between. Call it mm. quality pieces that can give your you can give your children's children tie them to their roots and transcend the basic function of whatever they are mm. so start voting with your dollars and stop buying cheap crap from people who hate you <laughs> that's right visit www.bonificewoodworking.com to see the gallery learn the story submit your order for heirloom quality wood items today and supporting the people that support us that's right facts. that's right can I talk about journalism? Okay, go ahead. Okay, okay, Denise, I got to ask you. So right now, you know, looking at your Twitter, you are a firebomb. You are out there throwing haymakers and hitting targets. Just reckless. Just, yeah. Just no, reckless. No, no, no. It's a skilled art. I mean, hitting... you should be canceled from Twitter by this point, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that you haven't been. But as a journalist, one of the things that we're seeing is the failure of journalism right now. We don't have anybody out there fending for us, the common man. Where would a journalist rightly need to put their time and energy into to to kind of have a a, a a impact in the culture right now to maybe turn this ship a little bit. Well, are you talking about journalism as in straight news reporting? Um, and where can you get actually truth as far as what's going on I'll in reporting? Let, I, are you talking about cultural commentary? Well, I think we got a lot of, well, maybe both. She I think knows both. her distinctions there. That's I think good. both. Uh -huh. Yeah, I, I don't find too yeah. many of those that are helpful right now. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think when it comes to truth in journalism and good reporting, uh, it's hard to find. You have to kind of just weed through it yourself and try to discern the facts and, and have a variety of different sources that you go to to try to weed through mm. it. Uh, and sadly, it, it's so much of this is corporately controlled. You know, it's whatever's politically correct with behind the scenes, um, you know, whatever everyone's agenda is. Uh, that drives all these narratives and it does affect the state of journalism. Um, as far as like conservative commentary itself, I mean, we have a lot of commentary. I mean, they're dime a dozen. You can't really even make money at it because <laughs> they can hire you for free and have anyone publish stuff at these, at these blog posts. Uh, so it, it's difficult to find really good uh, conservative commentators, especially those who have a grounded worldview. Mm -hmm. You know, you have a lot that are reactionary conservatives yep. who are just reacting to uh, the liberal agenda. Mm -hmm. You see that, I think, mm -hmm. a lot of Fox News, you know, the Bonginos and, and Sean Handy, and, and these are friends of mine. So I, I mean, I'm not bad mouthing them, but they, they're very reactionary um, to with slogans and you know these yeah. ideas and yeah. repeat right. over and over again um and then you have these liberty-based i would say conservatives and you see that a lot at um at daily wire mm -hmm. at uh, even now national review now which used to be you know the bulwark right. of conservatism right. but you know, they have some messiness over there and i think isn't one of their their head guy now gay and, and married to a man i think oh, man. so uh it's um if I'm wrong, I'm wrong about that. I apologize, but I think that's correct. Okay. You know, and the Federalist, um, also very libertarian influence, even though I think it's moving a little bit now, more conservative since Ben Dominich left. Uh, so maybe it's left back to Molly a little bit more, Molly Hemingway, who's yeah. more conservative. I don't know what's going on there. And so it's it's interesting because that libertarian liberty movement has really infiltrated the conservative ranks. And mm -hmm. that's problematic because that worldview is very different from the classic conservative Christian worldview. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it's that natural law, liberty, the you know, do no harm, Hobbesian kind of you know survivalism, right. kind of libertarianism, and it's it's secular in nature, and then that's what you you pick up on, and and you, like you were saying about Ben Shapiro and Daily Wire, I think they've they've circled the wagons now, not around a, a cohesive, solid worldview that is unchanging no matter what, but around liberty. Mm-hmm. And uh, liberty is not the worldview that we circle our wagons around as conservatives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we circle our wagons around solid core biblical principles in a created natural order designed Amen. by God. Right. That's what we are focused on. That's what that's our solid ground. All the rest of it is, is sifting sand. Mm-hmm. You know, are we going to build our conservative movement on the rock? of Jesus, Jesus Christ declared word in God's worldview and God's created order? Or are we going to build it on liberty and be like France? I mean, that's what mm. happened with the French Revolution. Right. It was based on liberty. And, you know, liberty alone does not carry you through all these waves, you know, of truth and right. subjectivism. You know, everyone's free to have their own truth. You know, you're free, you're free, you're free. But that isn't what carries you through to having a true free and civil society. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's what the American Revolution was built on, which was built on these core foundational biblical uh, principles. And not that they were all Christians, but they certainly all worked from the same Christian biblical worldview and said so. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but we've abandoned that. So once you abandon that, and whenever I talk to anyone, you know, there's a lot of questions about the ins and outs and everything, but it really does come down to if you have abandoned God's truth, if you've exchanged God's truth for a lie, mm-hmm. as Paul says in Romans one, uh, you are not, you are going to be given over to the depravity of your ways and that it leads to chaos and depravity in an uncivil society mm-hmm. and ultimately tyranny. So this, this is what's happened. Once, once we've abandoned and we have, I believe we have as a majority abandoned mm-hmm. God's objective truth, even to the point of abandoning it about human identity. And this is what's so bad about the LGBT thing is that unlike any other sin and any other uh, issue, it, it at its core is an abandonment of human identity. Mm. The abortion is an abandonment of personhood in the womb. It, it, LGBT is about an abandonment of who we are designed God as, as human mm-hmm. beings. Mm. So, um, I, I- I mean, there's so much we've been talking about, but I, I can't think that a lot of this um, conversation about conservatism going gay is um, not, I mean, it's connected to why we got Trump in 2016. Um, you know, I I grew up in Texas. Uh, Bush was my man. And then I, I realized that this compassionate conservatism really is soft. It, it you know, uh, it really is gay. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, and and I think a lot of conservatives, I think, got frustrated with that compassionate conservatism because they realized it's not really fighting for them. And then and then Trump comes along and he's a fighter and he's all screwed up in all sorts of in, in ways. But at least he's fighting. Um, you know, what's your what's your take on and maybe this comes into your book on uh, what men want to say to women but can't and we get Trump. <laughs> <laughs> you know, wow! Wait, talk about a segue. Wait, what? <laughs> you no, know, it do, it is a good segue in the sense of uh, I, when in, back in 2015, I wrote a lot. I was writing the Federalist, trying to explain to people in the conservative movement and the never Trumpers at the time who I was warring with um, about why people were supporting Donald Trump. 
because you, you remember that back then, the never Trumpers were like, he's not principled, we're a principled yeah. movement. These are the same people, by the way, who are now like embracing same sex marriage right. and, and the homosexual agenda. That's right. They're so principled, right? <laughs> <laughs> Facts. Yeah. <laughs> Supporting porn actresses off screen and all kinds of bizarre yeah. things. Are you uh, talking you about know, David French? oh my gosh the retweeting of these porn actresses i don't know did they not notice that we noticed but anyway so it's it's you know you're so principled but yet you can't handle donald trump because he's had some divorces and talked about you know pussies in a uh, hollywood you know grabbing them in the in the Uh hollywood film thing and so this was so offensive to them you know we can't we can't possibly vote for them and i you know all these people who are voting for him are just stupid and why are all these men supporting him don't they know he's not a real man and you know so i was constantly explaining to them that you know throughout the obama years uh and, and even before that with clinton we were as a as a conservative not just the Republican Party, but conservatives as well, being beat up with white guilt, a lot of white guilt and yep. man guilt. You know, men were being beat up on feminism has just taken its toll on, on masculinity and the and the whole psych, psychology of men today. So many, I meet so many men who have given up. Then you have men who have become really angry yep. and, and almost embraced misogyny as a reaction right. <laughs> because they're so angry right. um and you, you know you have others trying to under you know wade through the waters and know how to be a man in this culture and you know and and so we have that frustration and then you know you did have the white guilt that was going on with the obama years you couldn't say anything against him because if you did you were a racist yeah. and you know i was i was telling people people are tired of being called a racist because they criticize this guy it, it has nothing to do with his skin color i feel attacked <laughs> I know it's just like I, I, I got called racist so much. And I'm like, I've never been called a racist in my entire life. And suddenly in this you know election, suddenly I'm this huge racist and it's bizarre. Right. So, I mean, it just made people angrier and angrier. And then, of course, the nationalism with the immigration issue and all oh. that kind of stuff. They wanted a fighter. They wanted someone who stood up to the, the cult, the PC politics and um, and said, you know, enough. You know, this is stupid. And that's what Trump did. They ended up canceling him in the end. I mean, they tried it with, you know, the whole Russia thing. I wrote a book with it with, yeah. Dan, with Dan Bongino. Um, it didn't work. But then they finally, in this last election, cheated their way into discrediting, delegitimizing him. But I mean, that's why it was a reaction to all of this. And you're going to start getting a reaction, you know, to to this in the straight guilt with the LGBT, you're, you're seeing some of it. Right. But I think this is a little harder harder to deal with um, because that love issue that's so tied to criticizing uh, the LGBT really sinks deep in people and they do not want to be seen as not loving. Okay. Okay. We, we, do you have like 10 minutes still? I know we could. Okay. That's great. All right, listen, if you are not a Fight Left Feast Club member, it's about to get crazy because I'm about to give uh, Ms. McCall- Mrs. McAllister a full journalistic army. I want to know what she's going to do with that arm and restore journalism if she had the ability Ooh, to do oh, it. Really? That's what you're going to do? That's what I'm going to fund it? You're going to fund that? And she's going to finish <laughs> answering your question. Okay. So, uh, might want to become a club member right now. If you're single, get married. If you're married, have you some kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them. Until tomorrow, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. It's about to go down. This is Cross Politics. <laughs> Nux loves this power. Oh, man. He loves this power. Where Dave and I plan this year's company holidays. Let's go through the list. Easter, too religious. St. Patrick's Day? Too white. 
Mother's Day? Way too cisgendered. All of your usual holidays have been canceled this year. But we still have Karl Marx's birthday! Ha <laughs> Need a real reason to party? Find a new job at redballoon.work. The season of Augustine and the season of Cassiodorus were very different moments in a crucial transformation that occurred in the history of the Western liberal arts. All right, so just stay like this. How, how am I doing here? So, yeah, you don't like you don't like this, huh? What does a Christian education look like when non-Christians are the ones who control the institutions of learning? This is a question that confronted Bishop Augustine of Hippo in North Africa in the fifth century AD. Augustine lived at the twilight of the Roman Empire. He himself had been trained with the best learning that Rome at that time had to offer. He himself actually came through the ranks and taught rhetoric in some of the best schools. And it was then, after he had come of age, that he converted to Christianity, but he wanted to continue the project of education, but this time for Christians. And so he had to confront the question, what does a Christian education look like when the unbelievers control the field? when they control the institutions, when the whole ap apparatus and curriculum of learning emerge from a pagan environment. And so Augustine wondered, what is it that Christians should jettison? What is it that Christians can embrace? What is it that Christians can adopt, but in modified form? These are the questions that Augustine confronted when he sought to educate Christians in an environment when unbelievers dominated the field. A century later, we see a man in the south of Italy named Cassiodorus who faced a very different educational landscape. He had to ask what did a Christian education look like in an environment where unbelievers had abandoned the project of education altogether. The in infrastructure of learning had entirely eroded. If education was to proceed at all, it had to proceed on the foundation of Christianity. The Christians had to be the ones preserving education. What does a Christian education look like when Christians are the ones forming the institutions, when Christians are the ones organizing the curriculum? Well, these two seasons in the history of education, the season of Augustine and the season of Cassiodorus, just 100 years apart, were very different moments in a crucial transformation that occurred in the history of the Western liberal arts. We're gonna be studying this story. We're going to be going back to the sources. We're going to go back to Augustine. We're gonna go back to Cassiodorus. We're gonna ask ourselves, which of their predicaments most resembles our own? Which can we learn from Augustine's period? What can we learn from Cassiodorus's period? As we confront these questions, we're gonna engage these sources, and we invite you to join us here at New St. Andrews College.